Hey there, listeners. Welcome to the official WNRG podcast. We believe the best knowledge is knowledge that is shared. Throughout our podcast journey, you'll hear advice from thought leaders, gain insight into areas of expertise other than your own, and hear the inspiring stories of others. This production is made possible by the dedication of our core team. I'm Tara DeLucia. I'm Carmen Pantoja Evans. And I'm Brittany Lemaire. We are looking forward to hearing what topics are important to you. Be intentional. Stay curious. And inspire others. You can share your thoughts on our WNRG Buzz page or by tagging us. Hashtag WNRG Podcast Series. We are here in the studio with Sherry Gabbard, and we're very excited to have her with us. Sherry, so why don't you start by telling us about your role, how long you've been at Humana, a little bit, little bit about your history. Sure. Um, I have been at Humana for a little over 17 years. Um, number of roles. My current role is actually as a strategic consultant in the pharmacy area. Um, I support all retail and commercial pharmacy um, planning and program management. So um, across all lines of business for pharmacy. Awesome. So how many years? 17. 17 years. So you've seen the company uh, pivot. Yes. I always think of Ross from Friends. I don't know if you guys remember that. The couch? Yeah, there's this couch scene. <laughs> I can't say I know that one. He's just yelling, pivot, because he's trying to get the couch up the stairs. <laughs> so actually, when we started making all the changes within Humana, um, in terms of like becoming a, a health and well-being company, that's the clip I showed my team. I'm like, I'm gonna, hmm. we're going to talk about it. pivot, good. But we're going to start with Ross from Friends. Yeah, that's cool. I love that show. <laughs> so anyway, 17 years, you've seen a lot. So, yeah, the company, I think when I started, I was trying to remember something like 10,000 employees. Oh, my goodness. I mean, yeah, it, it was phenomenal growth. Since I mean, I might be slightly off, but, I mean, it wasn't it wasn't more than that. And then when we look at today, what, 55,000 or whatever we're at. So amazing growth from that perspective and just the difference, I think, what we're at today versus when we started out. I know when I joined the company, we were definitely more of a a true insurance company. Um, And then now when we consider ourselves and talk about us being a health and well-being company, I mean, it's quite the shift. Absolutely. So, yeah. Um, We kind of came in from, I feel like I came in seven and a half years ago to, to that when we were just starting to really make that change from traditional insurance yeah. to, to something more um, care management and that whole piece of it. Yeah, it just wasn't, um, not saying it wasn't thought of because we had our traditional, you know, clinical programs and that was very important, but just the focus so much on the member and their well-being and try to prevent them from being um, in the hospital at all or even having to go to the emergency room, that type of thing. I mean, it's just such a shift. It's it's amazing when you think back because that is such a huge shift, and it's happened over, you know, really just the last maybe five years yeah. or so. Yeah, a, a huge shift. So to me, that kind of blows my mind when think back to my underwriting days when I first started at Humana to, you know, just underwriting a normal insurance plan for group insurance and then think about where we are today. Well, how many roles have you had over the years? <laughs> um, I would have to say maybe maybe seven or eight. Oh, wow. Um, started out actually um, for Humana in 2000. 
So it's actually probably, what, been 18 years. I'm saying 17, but it's probably more 18. Um, <laughs> it's like when you age and you're like, well, how old are you? It's your yeah, birthday. I have no idea. <laughs> <laughs> I have no idea. I thought I was 30, you know, apparently I was 37. And my right. was like, what's wrong with you? I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> Yeah, so my, you know, and that's something I should be proud of, so I should I should know 18. Um, so I started out actually in the underwriting department and came in as an underwriter and then worked myself up to senior underwriter, and then I was offered a manager position. So, so tell us about underwriting, just for those who are... Sure. Yeah. So underwriting, um, and it was group. So what we did was, and I focused more on new business, so we wrote employer group business. So we had a client who was a group um, who had a number of associates, so employees that worked for them. So we wrote that particular company's benefit plan. And so we, you know, we're responsible for getting their current plan design and and figuring out the rates that would be appropriate to charge the, the employer for that particular group for 12 months. So you understand the whole like baseline of the insurance world. I mean, from uh, truly insurance, where you're literally taking, you know, when people talk about getting a quote. Well, I mean, in the sense that's what we were doing, but we were quoting a company and all of their associates. If it was a matter of you know two employees, to um, later on in my career, actually wrote underwrote national accounts. So you know the large. Um, accounts usually over 3,000 employees. So it, it just depended on the time, what I was doing, if it was either small group or 100 plus or national yeah. accounts. So. so how many associates were in that company? Maybe their conditions, you know, whatever, if they had chronic conditions versus just a, just a healthy person. Right. Right. I guess yeah. all of that was part of the formula. Yeah. So it depended on the size of the group, like what our methodology was. Interesting. But hmm. Yeah, so did that. Um, and then actually came down to Louisville because I was from Chicago. So I was in um, that office in Westchester for uh, six or so years and then came down here to assume a director of national accounts underwriting role and did that for a few years until we decided as a company not to pursue large group national right. counts. Um, and then I had to, to make a pivot. Here we go, pivot! Uh, my position was actually eliminated at that point, and um, I was lucky enough to find a position um, at Humana and worked for um, the market president from Michigan market at that time and kind of ran the Indianapolis office because they were res- um, also responsible for that office as well as the Detroit office. So I did that for a while and then kind of transitioned into um, life and disability underwriting director. Um, And then there's a theme going here, but then that role was eliminated. My role wasn't, but we decided as a company not to pursue life and disability for a large group. We still did it for a small group. And so um, I had to then find a different role. So I ended up going and working in uh, Beth Beerbauer's organization as a director of finance and focused on admin cost reductions at that point. Um, And that was really when we were really focused on admin cost and um, and not just your traditional um, benefits and uh, salaries. And it, it wasn't about that. It was more about how can we find um, admin cost 
through our partners, um, just just different ways, uh, things that we hadn't really thought of before. So when we talk about rethinking routine and all that kind of thing, it was really important for us to do that. Um, work with HR and do they have different vendors that maybe we can talk to or, um, you know, just different things that we could eliminate or do differently. So it, it was pretty interesting. So how, would you share a little bit too about why that's important. So when you talk about ad- reducing admin costs without getting too in the weeds, I guess, you know, very, how does that impact Humana overall, the business, you know, th- that sort of thing? Well, I mean, when you think about it from an expense perspective, um, you're totally eliminating that expense from the equation. So you have uh, more profit at the end of the day. And so what's important for us is in order for us to um, save money, it allows us to reinvest into other things that the company finds important. So um, if we can get rid of those duplicates, those inefficiencies, and and do things more optimally, then that allows the company to really focus on those things that are important. And so if we need to focus on, you know, technology or, um, you know, go after different things uh, from a clinical program perspective or whatever it may be in the future, that allows us to do that. Um, and then sometimes we're actually able to pass some of that savings back on to our clients and our customers. Right. Um, so it really just kind of depends on what the company you know, chooses to do with it, prioritize it, but it allows at least that flexibility. Well, I'm from the clinical world, as, as some of the listeners know, I'm on the Humana Home Healthcare Services side. And so they'll talk about how that type of savings allows for the benefits you know, for our plans. So silver sneakers, yeah. over-the-counter benefits. So the, the more that we make in that, in that regard, that profit, it's built back into the benefits, which makes that more marketable and more mm-hmm. appealing to our, our members. So they stay with Humana or they choose to go with Humana over for another company. Yeah. So, so it's really interesting how it, it's full circle. But when you, sometimes when you hear cutting admin costs, it can sound a little scary and like, well, wait, how does that relate back? But it really is, it's just the circle. That's a great Great point, and I'm really glad that you brought that up and how we can kind of demystify uh, some scary words or some words that traditionally have had a bad connotation because truly, I mean, a more robust benefit package that we can offer our members, that's just creating a better value proposition to choose Humana. It is when you, you know, when I'm going into these various meetings with our different um, partners who were allocating costs to us, like HR and, and different general groups, you know, and you're telling them, well, we're focusing on admin cost reduction, and they look at you like, oh, my gosh, you're here to do what? <laughs> you know? What are you taking away? And it's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. So let's, you know, let's just talk about, um, and it was more of a brainstorming session. Like, let's just talk about things like, if there, if there are things today that we could stop doing, what would it be? Right. Or if there are things that you see that aren't really working as effectively as they should, can we tweak them? What, what would that be? How? You know, all that kind of thing. So I think when you sit down and, and try to talk about it a little more and get them to focus a little bit more on, it's, it's, it's more about eliminating some waste and just stuff that maybe isn't even important today. Mm-hmm. You know, maybe it was important years ago. Right. But as we're evolving and pivoting, as we've talked about before, I mean, it, it might not be what we need now. Absolutely. So, so you said that was director of finance, but yeah. you started off saying you're in pharmacy, Right. So, so to get from there, gosh, that that's still many years ago. Oh. Um, so I went into um, I, this is where when we talk about career and if it's going to be ladder movement or lattice movement mm. and all those. And those are big seems Buzzwords. like hot topics. They are. Right. Yeah. 
my career, I think at the beginning was definitely what I would consider a ladder. And then all of a sudden it turned into where it was much more lattice. And so I strategically chose at that point to move into healthcare services because I had been in the employer group segment my whole career with Humana at that point. And so I took a chief of staff role for Kathy Minks, who is our VP of finance at that point, um, and did that for a while. And What is that? It's um, so basically. Sounds I, powerful. Yes, yeah, I know. Stop. I know. Doesn't that wish? Um, <laughs> no, I, I supported Kathy um, on different initiatives that she needed help with uh, for her team. So it's one of those jack of all trade mm. type jobs where you could be meeting with different finance teams. I, you know, ran staff meetings, uh, put together uh, monthly and/or quarterly. Um, all team meetings, um, different webcasts. I mean, it just, it depended on what Kathy needed my support with. Um, she was very busy trying to to get the finances and healthcare services aligned on, on what their new future was going to be. And so she spent a lot of time doing that. And then I had to try to help her because all the other stuff with associates and her employees and I mean, all that stuff is critical. Um, impact planning, you know, performance. Re- I mean, I just had to make sure all of that stuff was getting done. Uh, so talk about a job where every half an hour you seem to be doing something different mm. that that's what I was doing and so it was definitely uh, a, a springboard to other roles um, and that role I actually because um, another thing I feel is very important is networking and to have a strong network and that was one where it ended up um, interesting because Kathy Eads, who you guys have talked about before on the podcast, um, she was on that team. And so I um, met her and talked to her about the role. And she ended up um, talking to Kathy Meeks, and then I ended up with that job. But um, another wow. thing that came out of that was getting into the WNRG, which I'm passionate about and Kathy was over the speaker series at that point and I had been a member of the WNRG since it began but really was wanting to get on the leadership team and then Kathy asked me if I would want to join the speaker series team and I'm like cool what is that so I'm like yeah sure I'll jump on and I'll help that and then now I mean it's that's been what five or six years ago, mm-hmm. and now I'm one of the co-chairs. So it's just interesting how things happen. Mm-hmm. You know, just getting involved in just a little um, connection with someone, and then it, it ends up being two different jobs. Honestly, yeah, that we, has happened. Well, so. and we talk to a lot of leaders and women who say that they say the importance of networking and the importance of getting involved outside of your role. Absolutely, and it really does take extra effort and it really does take um extra time extra time but it's it's uh there's a bigger picture there Mm. you know you're making an impact um on on the organization you're bringing value in a whole nother whole nother capacities and sherry would you happen to have any advice for networking for associates that are not in big geographical areas where humana is per se like the main hub like green bay or louisville um, I would. I think um, one thing that's important is for people to get involved in a lot of uh, different things, and so you can volunteer. We do a lot of callouts, um, you know, through Buzz or various things that way, asking for volunteers to help with different things, um, to write articles or be part of um, just 
hosting and at a table at an event or whatever it is. And to me, I think that's one of the simplest ways to um, to get part to be part of a group that maybe you're not um, that actively involved with prior to that. So I would say that's one way is to volunteer because we're all the different energies, not just the W energy, are looking for associates to help in any capacity. Um, so I, that would be number one. I, I would definitely do that. Um, and then if you can, I would try to get involved in different groups that are in your community that don't even have to be at Humana necessarily, mm-hmm. because I'm also a big um, advocate for volunteerism outside of work. So, you know, I've been part of a couple different boards. Um, I'm actually president of my homeowners association right now, and I've met um, so many people just through that that I probably never would have connected mm-hmm. with before. And um, and it's interesting because another person that I'm friends with at uh, Yamana, she asked me to be on a board, and so I became a board member. And then we, we're constantly going back and forth asking each other if we can help on different projects and, hey, are you going to be able to attend this event this weekend and volunteer at this table? And, and again, just meeting all those people in the community that I never would have had a chance to meet. So I think volunteering is very important, but pick something that you're passionate about sure. um, because it, then you're going to find it much more interesting and you're going to stay engaged. Uh, plus, I think people could use that as a way to pick up a skill that they can't get at work. So if you... Yes. You know, if you want to become a leader or manage people or manage a big project, go volunteer and help with a project. They're, they're doing all kinds of fundraisers, and and it doesn't matter. But mm-hmm. you can definitely get involved that way, and you can start honing those skills. And you know what? It's a valid, very credible skill that you can put on your resume because you did this for this particular organization. So. Yeah, it, we, we've talked about advocacy. And that's, you know, being proactive, getting that experience, yeah. and then putting it into words and putting it on paper and letting your leaders know yeah. and letting those around you and using the talent center. And I mean, there's just so many ways that we need to self-promote through these experiences yeah. and opportunities and even when they're outside of work. Realizing that they're truly transferable skills because it doesn't happen in the workplace doesn't mean it's not applicable right. oh, absolutely. to your work experience. Yeah, there's a number of times I've had people um, say, well, I'm not really good at, at math, but I would like to know how to do a budget. So run a budget for a department. And I know as a leader, I'm going to have to be responsible for that at some point, but that's not something I'm going to be exposed to right now. So what do I do? Well, you could go out and try to get on a board or even part of a project in your community and um, and help with that aspect of it. Get on the finance committee so that you're starting to learn how does a budget operate? How do you do it? Um, so it, there's many ways. Just figure out what it is that you would like to learn and then um, go out there because, believe me, people will take volunteers. I mean, these companies and different, you know, pro- nonprofit organizations are just desperate for people to help. They just want bodies. And I think it's important that uh, you don't um, silo yourself Absolutely. just to your work. You can also go into the community and and um, just like you said, that's networking. So don't silo yourself because yeah. you don't know. It could be that you think you're passionate for this one piece, but 
go outside the doors, see what else is out there. You'd yeah, and if you find out you don't like it, you know, then you don't have to you don't have to do it again next year. That's true. You know, but you you did help, and you I'm sure that you've walked away with something. Oh, sure. You know, just making a difference, yeah. just knowing even if nobody else knows, you know, you've done your part. Absolutely. So then. Where, where do we leave you on the timeline? Now? <laughs> yeah. Oh my gosh. So let me think. So then I did You're that. Chief so, of staff. Oh yeah. yeah. So then um, I, gosh, I'm trying to remember what I did after that. Um, That's when you know. Oh, right? so I think after that, I actually end up. Um, I went to a role as the corporate trend committee leader. So that role was responsible for running all the trend committees for all four lines of business. So you'll have to take a step back. What's a trend committee? So, well, we have, um, when you think of trend, and trend was important to me as an underwriter, and then use it in different capacity later in my career, but we all are trying to figure out how to lower utilization or um, mitigate cost. And when you think about trend, think of it similarly to inflation, where it's always going to go up. And unless we intervene and do something to bend the trend. And so when you hear people say bend the trend, Mm -hmm. it's to bend it so it's not going in that upward projection. Um, So what do we do? And so you can introduce different clinical programs. Mm -hmm. Um, You can change vendors. You can do something where you're, you're actually going to reduce the cost or lower utilization. And so it's back to the admin cost. It's not. It's more claim cost okay. than admin cost. Okay. So, so it's, it's definitely focused on claims. So it's bending the trend to increase um, costs. So costs are going to increase. We want to stop the cost from or slow decrease. The cost from you want to decrease. decrease. Yeah. So we'll want to decrease utilization and decrease cost if you can. Um, and utilization is really anytime a member is going to utilize our services and have a claim. So when people talk about, you know, bending trend, it's how do you how do you interrupt that cycle mm-hmm. so that there aren't that same number of claims coming in year over year. And it's not a matter of not servicing the member because that's absolutely not what we're talking about. What we're talking about is figuring out ways that we can serve the member from um, an illness perspective when we need to. So if somebody needs to go to the emergency room because of, you know, an incident, they need to do that. Um, People need to have, if they have chronic conditions, they need to go and get into different programs and have care. So this isn't about not treating the member, but it's about giving them the right treatment at the right time for the lowest cost. And we have to figure out how to do that. Mm. And that's what we're all about right now. Um, all the um, investments and focus on, you know, healthcare services and human at home and all that is to figure out how we can best treat our members and do it most cost effectively. So then, so that role, you ran those meetings, those trend meetings. Right. So those meetings, um, we really try to bring ideas to the table um, and figure out for different lines of business what we can do. And if it's a matter of um, introducing a different uh, program, we'll do that. A lot of it is really just understanding the information we have. You know, we're 
a healthcare company, so we have tons of data. But it's really looking at that data and, and what is it telling you? So what kind of insights is it giving you? And figuring out if there's anything that we can do when we look at the data and, you know, see what it's telling us. So, you know, is it predictive modeling? Is it um, introducing a new diabetes program? Is it, um, and, and ultimately at the end of the day, what we'd like to do is slow the progression of a lot of disease those diseases. Progression. Yeah. Um, but how do we do that? And, well, um, and how do you measure it? And how, and how do you, do you make it? sure it's yes. effective? And then, you know, how do you then build it into the model? I mean, there's so many pieces. So who brings the trend ideas to the table? Like, who's responsible for that? So um, so I was responsible for coordinating it. But really, when you think about there's different areas across the company that um, that should. So you have your your clinical leaders that should be bringing things to the table. You have network who should be coming to the table. This is all about partnership because not one area is going to be able to solve this problem in health. Um, you know, so your pharmacy team should be coming. You should have um, claims cost management coming. So, you know, we need to focus on fraud and abuse as well as other things because that's just increasing your utilization and we, we need to eliminate that from our system. So it's it's an effort by many different areas across the company. Um, and we've done a really good job year after year, but um, it, it's not done. It, it's one of those things that we have to keep doing every year. Well, if the trend will, you know, if, if the cost will continue to increase just because of the nature of the yeah. business, yeah. then it, you'll always have a need for new trend vendors. Yes, absolutely. And you have to have everybody at the table. At the table, yes. To too. discuss. And if that one piece of the puzzle is not there, then you're not solving anything or you're not getting anywhere. Not that you're going to solve it at that meeting. but Right, yeah. And it's just a matter of just keeping it front and center mm. Mm. and making sure that we're addressing those, mm. those issues that are hot right now. Um, and that's the importance of having uh, another piece of it is to have people come and, and um, look at what the data is telling them, maybe monthly, maybe quarterly. It just depends on what time frame seems appropriate. But you can't lose sight of people actually looking at the data, data and being the first people to see things that might happen. So they'll bring stuff to your attention and like, oh, it looks like... I don't know, outpatient claims are really spiking for some reason the last two or three months, and we have to dig deeper and try to figure out why that is. Or So it's a matter of always ideating and coming up with different initiatives that we might be able to pilot, put in place, but it's also monitoring your data and, and seeing what it's telling you so that you can pivot and start focusing it. It's always so fun when we do these because as you're talking, I'm like, oh, that's great. Oh, that's a good nugget. Know. You know, like, we'll exactly. have to like that. You know, so yeah. people know, like, listen, there's good stuff in here. So we're really very grateful. Thank you. It's very nice to be here. Thank you so much for spending time with us. And that's it for this episode. You can share your thoughts on our WNRG Buzz page or by tagging us. Hashtag WNRG Podcast Series. Until next time, be intentional. Stay curious and inspire others.